Well, that was a good one. Welcome to episode 84 of the Barnhart Podcast, and I'm not wearing Birkenstocks. Although, Anne, you know, I don't have sandals. It's summertime, and, you know, I kind of feel, you know, I think, well, I feel I should have something to allow my feet to breathe. I just feel like that when the the toe-knuckle hair is, is exposed, I just feel like that's maybe not the best look. And the listeners are now probably thinking that we've been just smoking that weed that we were talking about two episodes ago. But um, what we were just demonstrating for the benefit of the listeners is um, a new horrific, horrific um, vocal speech affectation that is that is spreading like wildfire and is about to drive me up a wall. Now we've talked before on the podcast about the up talking that that inflection whereby every every statement that you utter, every not question but statement that you utter is inflected upwards as if it were a question. And we discussed the fact that people are doing this because it's it's feminine, it's it's submissive. It's passive. It is. Um, it's very it Valley Girl. That's that's the first stereotype that comes to mind because in the nineties, you know, people in the Valley would talk like that. Like, let's go to the mall and maybe let's go to the beach and I don't know. Let's have a latte. Yes, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it started in the early eighties and then it it's it's morphed into this this thing. Um, especially with with the younger generation and the soy boys and the social justice warriors and everything, where everything has to be passive and and feminized. Not that not that women should be speaking like that either. I mean, women should speak normally too. They shouldn't up talk. That's that's ridiculous. But this latest thing that Super Nerd and I opened the podcast with is this business of opening every or every other or darn near every other sentence with the with the verbal tick i feel like or i just feel like everything has to be framed now nothing you can't make a statement because that's just too uh, apparently it's too masculine I, I i don't know and see i just up talked it there because i was it was it was a question that i was asking is it too masculine now literally to just to make a statement everything has to be a question and this business with i just feel like um this could be better you have to make everything sentimental. This is so feminine. This is so effeminate. And it's driving me bonkers. Everything has to be reduced to sentimentality. Everything has to be fee wings. Even if you're saying something that has absolutely nothing to do with feelings, if you're, even if you're making you know, a, a, a concrete observation about something, you have to open in order to be passive, sufficiently passive to satisfy the culture, you have to open the sentence with a declaration that what you're about to say is a function of your feelings. And then I, I guess what they're thinking is that 
now feelings trump everything. So they're thinking that that adds some some added weight or um, an inability. You you can't question this now because I've just told you that this is how I feel and how I feel trumps absolutely everything. Now where where I've heard this. And it's it's driving me crazy because um, I think as we've discussed before on the podcast, maybe a little bit, I really like cooking. I have watched cooking shows since I was a tiny, tiny child. I mean, I, I grew up watching in the in the late 70s, Julia Child on PBS. And we're talking old school. Cooking shows have always been one of my very favorite things. And I'm, I'm very interested in food preparation and new ingredients and new techniques, perfecting, perfecting old techniques, you know, making the perfect scrambled eggs, making the perfect pie crust, stuff like that. And um, kind of a cool thing is that the whole genre of quote unquote cooking shows is now basically moved almost completely onto, you know, video on demand sites online, such as YouTube. They're all going to YouTube. So, I mean, I don't have Netflix. I don't have any of that garbage. I won't pay for any of that, but you can go to YouTube and you can find just any uh, instructional cooking videos about pretty much anything you could possibly want to make. You can find instructional videos on YouTube on how to make a nuclear bomb. And I am not kidding. Yeah, there's it's I have gone to YouTube. What it what was it? Oh, I had to change um a bag on my vacuum cleaner and I was you know, I was outsmarted by my vacuum cleaner and I was a little bit unsure about, you know, how there were no instructions or anything. There was no diagram anywhere on on the case of the vacuum cleaner. And I was kind of unsure. I had taken the old one out without inspecting it before I took it out and seeing, okay, how does this need to be oriented, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, well, let me let me just go over and let me go to YouTube and let me type in the, the, the make and model of the vacuum cleaner and see if anything comes up. And there were like five, there were five videos of how to change the, the bag in my make and model of vacuum cleaner. I will say that as somebody who is technically adept and not adept in a whole lot of other things outside of computers, it has provided a significant testosterone boost to me that I can watch some videos on YouTube about plumbing and fix my toilet and some other plumbing issues in the house, yep. Yep. much to the delight of my wife. And I had no clue how to do this until I went to YouTube and figured it out. Same idea with felling trees precisely about how to cut trees with a chainsaw and Mm -hmm. make them fall exactly where you want them to, even despite how the wind is blowing. Amazing capability we have with the internet to learn how to do things. But most people look at porn and cat videos. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And but you know what never ceases to amaze me is, for example, the uh, how to change your your vacuum cleaner bag video. That's never going to make anybody any money. That's not a, a monetizable commodity. People are just uploading things like this, basically out of the goodness of their hearts. They're they're taking their time to you know put put this together, record it, edit it, upload it, et cetera, et cetera. With with no compensation coming back to them in any way, there there a lot of people are just doing this pretty much to be nice and to be helpful to others. That okay, there's one nice thing you can say about the internet, um, and the amount of information that just keeps getting uploaded to YouTube. I don't know, I don't know what the the statistics are now, but I think it, it must have been a decade ago. It was something like 
it was something like 36 days per minute of video content was being uploaded to YouTube. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I remember this stat because I was in, I was still in my office. Um, I still had my office. So eh, it could have been, it's approaching 10 years ago, probably. And I remember just looking at that and being just stunned by that. Thir 36, 36 days per minute or something like that was being uploaded 10 years ago. Can you imagine what it is now? So, well, and you have to ask yourself the question also, why in the world would Google give you that service for free? We're talking about a medium, which is the most bandwidth intensive. And for the most part, people are putting not the most edifying material up there. Okay. Now on, on the example of how to change the bag in your, in your vacuum cleaner or how to do uh, plumbing stuff or cut mm -hmm. trees or whatnot. There's a very good reason why people should put educational videos out there because it is very true that to learn something completely uh, or to learn it in the best way possible is to teach that topic to somebody else. And I definitely mm -hmm. have know that firsthand in the technical sphere, uh, technical field that uh, to really master a concept, you have to teach it to somebody else. Amen. So there is there is that. But why in the world would Google offer such a an expensive service to you for free unless they're getting something massively significant from it. You watch videos on YouTube. Typically, people have a, a, a Gmail account or a Google account of some kind. You definitely have to have it to, to register or to uh, give comments on the videos. They, mm -hmm. build a, they build a psychographic profile on you based on what you look at. It's, it's like the old maxim of the photography that uh, the, the lens looks both ways. The idea that what that means is that what it is that the photographer finds interesting about which to take photos tells the viewer of the photographs what the photographer is interested in. So, I mean, it, it looks both ways. So what you find interesting on, on YouTube, what you find sufficiently interesting to put comments on, YouTube takes notes about that. And they put that in your psychographic profile so they can put that in marketing profiles so that... I don't know when episode nine of Star Wars is coming out. If you've ever commented on any Star Wars video ever, then you're going to get bombarded with advertisements. But the other thing too, is that, you know, if you want to put the tinfoil hat on for a minute. Okay. So I, anybody who's listened to this podcast for a while, I never use my real name. And, and I've said before, this is mainly because I don't want HR departments where I work to, to put two and two together. But it's probably not too long before people like Google or Microsoft or Amazon or others can do voicial, voicial, voicial. That's a good. <laughs> I, was, I, almost, I was combining New voice word. and facial. There's no video right now. <laughs> voice recognition on um, what we're saying here and saying, oh, this person called Super Nerd or possibly Roman McLean has a voice that suspiciously matches this other video that has this other name. And, and uh, maybe you can deduplicate that. I don't know. That's an NSA level trick at the moment. I suspect Google probably can do it, but it, it gets back to the question, why would Google give you something so valuable for free? If you wanted to host videos off of your website, it would be very, very expensive because it's yeah. a lot of bandwidth. Yeah. So why would YouTube do it for free? Now, you could make the argument that if you have a sufficiently popular video, um, unless you're like a Korean pop star, they're going to find some reason to ban you, which, you know, we were putting the, the podcast up on YouTube for a while and they, they put two strikes in your account before 
a couple of the first eight podcasts. That, I think it was number eight. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was it was the one that that uh, we, we were talking about the you know, Jews. It actually started out J O O O O Z or something like that. <laughs> and the irony is, if somebody thought this was anti-Semitic, they clearly didn't listen to the podcast because it was almost exactly the opposite. Of Much course. to the chagrin of some people who actually listen to the whole podcast, but that's a different cast mm, of, of That's folks, a different but. episode. <laughs> that's episode 85. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, good point. And so I, <laughs> what, what must Google think of me? I never leave comments on anything ever, ever. Um, not YouTube, not blogs, nothing. Um, if I have something to say, I obviously have a forum where I can say whatever I want to say. I don't need to leave comments anywhere. Um, but what must they think of me from, uh, apparently they could probably see my my um, viewing habits where <laughs> the, the vast majority of the things that I watch on YouTube are cooking shows. And um, I've been watching, I'm geeking out and watching high level mathematics tutorial videos, you know, high level mathematics, but it's, it's being explained for the layman. And there's a lot of that stuff going up. Just fascinating. I'm on a total Mandelbrot set bender, you know, watching these, these videos about all this and how, if you don't know, okay, we need to put this in the show notes. If you don't know what the Mandelbrot set is, it's that, it's that, uh, that plot it's, it's in the complex plane and it looks like a ladybug and you can zoom in on it to infinity and the boundaries are these absolutely gorgeous kaleidoscopic um, formations and it's infinite. It just keeps going and going and going. So it's only, it's just a function of where do you zoom in on the boundary of this ladybug shaped uh, plot or graph or set? And then um, how, how far do you go? How, how deep do you keep zooming, you know, 10 to the 200th power or whatever it is. And it's all a function of computing power, but it's, it's, absolutely gorgeous it's fascinating it um it gets you kind of thinking about the the infinity of god and and the beatific vision and makes you realize just how incredibly small we are and how big god is and it's just you know this unending beauty and it's just it's just in this one very simple um complex function and here's this in infinity of beauty. So I've been nerding out watching um, Mandelbrot set videos. And then of course, crazy things happen like you're you're looking at the Mandelbrot set and they say, oh, by the way, look at this, this, and this. Hey, recognize that. If you, you know, if you um, do this quick little function here, here, and here, guess what it turns out to be? Pi. Or look at this, this, and this. If you look at this sequence of, of formations here, look what that look what that is. It's the Fibonacci sequence, you know, mind blowing, the thumbprint of God, God sitting there giggling as, at us as we're all <laughs> discovering this and figuring this stuff out. It's so cool. So what am I watching on YouTube? I'm watching cooking shows and I'm watching and I'm nerding out on mathematics videos. So whatever kind of a profile they want to write up, they can knock themselves out. That's awesome. So I'm watching the cooking shows and one of my favorite ones that's very interesting is comes from Bon Appetit, which is a, a long-standing uh, culinary magazine, which I just looked it up today before before doing the podcast. And sure enough, this magazine is now owned by Condé Nast, which is just a bunch of absolute communists. <laughs> Shocker. Um, and 
But Bon Appetit magazine has now started making all these videos and their test kitchen offices apparently are way up on, they've got like two floors in the new World Trade Center building, Freedom Tower, whatever that thing is called in, in, in lower Manhattan there. So, you know, it's, that's where, they're, where their test kitchens are and everything. And they're putting out these fairly interesting videos. I, I'm, I'm going to have to stop watching, even though I enjoy watching and I'm learning things. I'm going to have to stop watching the Bon Appetit um, videos because these people are just the the up talking i just feel like thing is it's like pathological and there's there's about eight chefs who rotate and do different videos and they're they're all doing exactly the same thing the males the females and oh when the men do it now at least a couple of the male chefs are are homosexual i mean it's one of them wears nail polish i don't watch any of his videos another one acts gay and i googled him and looked it up and yeah he's totally gay um but there was another one another man who acts who acts gay he's real thin and is the worst for this is the worst for starting every sentence with i just feel like i just feel like and then up talk up talk up talk and i and i'm god forgive me but i said oh that guy's got to be gay so well, i google his name look him up and no he's married he has two kids um i'm married to a woman and obviously obviously there's no such thing as a man married to a man but you know just to make sure everybody doesn't get confused yeah the dude's married married to a chick has two kids why are you acting gay stop stop talking gay stop talking like a woman women stop talking like gay men trying to sound like women it's just please and if if you have children if you have grandchildren nieces and nephews listen for this and i would recommend just a just a smack upside the head if if a young person around you um or even an old person around you starts in with this i just feel like this kombucha would be a lot better right now if i could get like maybe some ice or something in it. I just feel like it would it would be better. <sighs> stop. Stop. So that's that's my opening rant. That's it. Your comment about straight guys sounding like gay guys reminds me of the the British show X Factor and the guy who is not Simon Cowell. He I I figured he was gay based on just some of the mannerisms and things he said and I, I googled him after after watching some of the videos. I, I appreciate the surprise of people who you, you you take one look at them and you make a first reaction or a first initial judgment about them and then they completely blow you away with their talent that's kind of cool but this guy he has the affectation of being something other than what his apparent profile is and one of the other comments you, you mentioned the whole i just feel like it reminds me of the phrase my truth or your truth yeah, Why yeah. would you say, I just feel like, unless it's a reference to your relative truth or somebody uh -huh. else's relative truth, it's a denial of, obje of objective truth, as well as good manners and decorum, which is yet another word we're going to bring up again, so... Yeah, I mean, if 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 the what example can I give? If the if the cookie you just made needs more salt, then say it needs more salt. Don't say, I just feel like this needs more salt up talk up talk no i mean does it or doesn't it 
it it does. Yeah, there's there are objective truths there. It needs more salt. But just just say it for the love of Pete. Just say it. <sighs> Maybe you need to watch more German cooking shows. <laughs> Oh, then then I would have to eat German food, and German food makes you really fat really fast. So, well, sauerkraut is good for you. That's good fermented food. That's good gut biome stuff. That's true. Sauerkraut is good for you. It's the it's the sausages and all the other yum yums that that are the problem. Sausages are just (laughs) fine. They're perfectly keto. Just don't eat all the carb crap. I know, I know. It's difficult because what is what? What do we drink with the sausages? We drink German rice beer with the sausages. <laughs> that's carbs. That's that's liquid bread, my friends. <laughs> well, the beer is, yeah, but the yeah, Germans yeah. do make red wine, just not a whole lot of it. They they keep it there. That's why we've never heard of it. Uh, they export all the the white wine because you know they have more than enough. Yeah, indeed. Well. <laughs> All right, there's my opening rant. What, what What's up next? I have no idea. Well, let's see. It, today is May 31st. I didn't say that at the beginning of the episode because I'm trying to um, uh, get away from saying the date. But it is the Queenship of Mary. And yes. um, where I live, we had a very <laughs> an interesting weather phenomenon earlier this week. And I was kind of um, you know, looking with uh, apprehension at the end of the week because uh, I, I grew up in St. Mary's, Kansas. I've said that before, but uh, at least four or five times when I was growing up, the big storms came through that town on the Queenship of Mary. I don't know why, uh, mm. but it just, it always happened. And I want to say that the the, the uh, twister, it never touched down, but the, the, the storm that finished off the chapel there in St. Mary's, I want to say that happened on, on May 31st, but I could be dead wrong on that. And it, it, there was a fire first. It didn't, completely killed the structure they were going to rebuild and then the twister changed their mind but anyway so um it wasn't really the weather wasn't the point but the 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 feast of the queenship of mary it's one of those things i've thought about it's like um if there is anything on the new calendar that makes sense that really makes sense the queenship of mary is the octave of the uh, assumption which completely makes sense mary is assumed in heaven on august 15th and then on August 22nd, the octave, the fulfillment of the feast, she's crowned queen of heaven. Mm-hmm. Completely mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Unless you think about it from the perspective of the entire month of May is dedicated to Mary. And yes. the completion, the fulfillment of that entire month-long celebration of Mary is recognition of her as queen. Right. And I feel really stupid that it never occurred to me that it makes more sense we, re- we celebrate the Queenship of Mary at the end of May because we are celebrating the culmination of Mary's celebration, the month of Mary, than to do it a week after the Assumption. Because we get Excellent 31 point. days this way instead of eight. That's and right. she gets another eight there anyway because we, we celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Heart on the old calendar on the octave of the Assumption. So as as St. Louis de Montfort says, you can never get enough of Mary. So just every every... Any chance you can to have a feast to Our Lady, just do it. And it's almost as if Holy Mother Church, for all those years, had like thought these things through. <laughs> Did you just say <laughs> like? Like I just I just feel like they probably, um, yeah, they they thought it all through, and it's the arrogance. It is the arrogance of the new and everlasting modern man 
just to assume basically that everyone that came before us for 2000 years, take it all the way back, baby, that they didn't know what the hell they were doing and they didn't think anything through. And only, only now, only now um, in this, in this late 20th, early 21st century, when you know, the Novus Ordo has been promulgated. There's the chaos of the failed Second Vatican Council and all of that fallout. Academia has fallen to pieces. Um, on, only now do we, mired in vice and corruption and sin as we are in this in this modern day and age, even the best of us. I mean, you're, we're just we're just mired in it. We're slogging through a damn sewer all the time. We, we are the ones who have figured everything out. We know better. And everyone before us is a bunch of unevolved mouth breathers who, who, you know, were just out uh, digging in the dirt um, and nobody was, was actually thinking anything through. This is the, just the jaw dropping arrogance of, it seems to me, people today. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's you can make the argument about changing the feast and this, but you know the the recovation of the calendar too. There's just there's just so much there that that needs to be fixed, and and it will be fixed after the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. May it happen sooner rather than later. Absolutely, and you know it's not always a bad thing to question, not in the sense of questioning authority, but questioning why is something the way it is. And uh-huh. as somebody who has been a technology consultant uh, and contractor for years, um, I have frequently, when I get to a new um, shop where I'm, I'm I'm working or trying to help solve problems, I ask questions: Why were certain decisions made? And it's okay. So I don't always ask this in the best possible light. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, it comes across like I'm questioning people's intelligence and no, no, no. I completely believe and, and trust that all decisions that were made were made with the best possible knowledge that the people had at the time. And it's just my inability to grok that at the moment that I don't see why they did it. So when I say, why did you go this particular approach? I'm not questioning you. I'm just trying to figure out your understanding. And when you ask why, why is the calendar set up the way it is? Yeah, we have 1,900 years of history. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. 1,600 if you say the first 300 don't count because they, the Christians are running from their from their lives so the Romans wouldn't kill them. But that's still a really darn long time compared to Vatican II till now. And, yeah. and in terms of, of saying, well, why did they change the calendar? Um, there are, I don't know, one or two legitimate good changes. I'm just going to take it at, at face value. I mean, the, the Bonini changes in, in, in uh, the 1955 Holy Week, for example, and any of the trads who have gone to the, the pre-55 Holy Week in the last couple of years have had the glory of going to the Vigil Mass at 4 p.m. That was actually one of the abuses. The Vigil Mass is supposed to start at sunset. Actually, it's not even sunset. It's supposed to, You're supposed to kindle the fire at sunset. The, the vigil isn't supposed to start until twilight is done, until twilight, it's dark. Yeah. Because otherwise, why? what sense does it make for the priest to come into the chapel with the paschal candle, singing the Lumen Christi, signifying the light into the world while the sun is still up? 
Yeah. <laughs> While the sun is still up and then and then setting, in fact. It's it's the complete inversion. Yeah, I, I agree. And but but that that also speaks to the fact that that Satan never gives you something completely uh evil. There's going to be ninety, ninety-eight, ninety-five percent truth in what he's doing, but it's that five to ten percent of error that'll kill you. I mean, rat poison is ninety eight percent nutritious. Do you are you yeah, really exactly, gonna yeah. recommend somebody eating it? Yep. Yes, that that one drop of arsenic in the in the glass of 1961 Chateau Latour is still the one drop of arsenic in in the glorious glass of wine. Absolutely, and so I think it seems to me that when you're when you're talking about Holy Mother Church in particular, because it is a a supernatural institution. I mean, obviously there is there's the institutional earthly church, which we are all just dealing with right now the way that I don't think anyone before us has ever had to deal with it but but the 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 supernatural church you have to have a degree of humility and you have to look at and deal with the the aspects of the church historically assuming that that what they did was right and that is exactly what has been inverted by modernism and by Vatican II and all of this garbage is that now the assumption is, is that, and this is literally the term that they use, that we are the new and everlasting man and we are superior and anything that is new is by definition superior. Um, it's funny, this came up um, Yesterday, we we're talking about, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you start with one thing and then you change it radically. And people are saying, well, what, what, that, what, what, what is no, which, which one do you mean? Do you mean the one that was before or do you mean the one that was after? And the arguments made, well, you always go with the most recent one. And I, and I was reminding people, I said, guys, this is, this is the Islamic doctrine of abrogation. This is why you, you open the Quran. And the early, quote unquote, early writings are all peace, love, and rock and roll. And then the later writings are all behead everyone with, without mercy and rape little boys. And you say, well, wait a minute. What the hell is it? Is it peace, love, and rock and roll? Or is it behead everyone without mercy? And the Islamic doctrine is whatever, whatever was written later abrogates whatever was written earlier well i just feel that whatever resonates with you i mean your truth is your truth i mean mm -hmm. it's and it, it means whatever you want it to mean you know I, that's exactly that that lack of clarity that's what we're dealing with and um and the assumption that we're all right and everything new is better and everyone before was either stupid retarded you know Unevolved, unevolved monkey people or something. I don't know what people have convinced themselves. I, th I think a lot of people today honestly think that if they went back in a time machine and went back to the, what, 14th, 15th, 16th century, that they would encounter a bunch of human beings that were basically mentally retarded. I think a lot of modern people think that. They think that we are some sort of a evolved super race and that everyone before were just idiots. Um, well, that, and, that's know. the basic blue state versus red state argument right now. The blue state people think they are the evolved rational people and the red state people are the God frame people who are wondering what the heck are these atheist, you know, people doing? 
Yeah. I, I had five more adjectives, but I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, but, it's probably for the just, best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, there, there's this fundamental disconnect that you don't have to go back in time. You just go travel from Boston to Alabama. You can see the difference. Well, actually, you can That's do right. it just right in Alabama, right from, you know, urban to suburban or, or urban to rural. It, those are two different worlds entirely. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And that's why, because the leftists in particular, obviously, have that have that mentality, because they are godless, that they are the ones who can drop into that that Nazi mindset, where your ideological enemy is vermin. And we all remember, we've seen the, you know, the propaganda films that the Nazis put out, depicting, you know, showing here's here's a group of Jewish people and then they cut and then they would be this this swarm of rats and they were literally propagandizing that Jews are vermin and it's exactly the same thing what's going on right now. The leftists are are rapidly convincing themselves that anyone who is not on board with their satanic satanic agenda is subhuman and is worthy of death and can be executed exterminated it, it's it's all it's escalating very 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 quickly now and um I, uh, I have, how, how did we get on this? What were we talking about? I have no idea. Oh, probably just the, the drift of of um, queenship of Mary. Oh, just the hubris of people to redo things. And and, and top yeah. on, on the topic of um, talking about Nazis, go, do a Google news search for the phrase "literally Hitler." There yeah. are people who literally are referring to Donald Trump as literally Hitler, and literally he's not. <laughs> this literally. is literally yes. It, this is, it makes you think, what the heck is going on between their, well, okay, nothing's going on between their ears of substance, but it, how can, how can semi-rational, allegedly rational people refer to Republicans or anybody really? I don't really care if you're talking about Republicans or, or Bernie Sanders saying they're literally Hitler. I mean, probably the latter is probably closer to the truth than Trump, but when you say literally that has actual meaning, it's not just the, I feel like uh, it's my truth thing. It's literally has literal meaning, but I don't know. Wait, I, objective, wait, wait. objective truth is out the window anymore. Let's go all in. Let's do this. I just feel like it's literally, see, <laughs> I just feel like it's literally that's, that's going all in on the stupid right there. And I, I bet if we do a Google search on that, I bet we can find somebody saying something like that. I just feel like it's literally a podcast and that might be a title. Yeah, that is. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. Although I'm, I'm just absolutely enamored with the new word that you just coined, voicial. That's... <laughs> That's that's your billion dollar word right there, my friend. You need to you need to copyright that. You need to buy that domain. Put that's that's money in the bank, baby. Voicial, voicial. Oh, you know, there's some. Assuming anybody who is of a, a sufficient level of engineer at Google is listening to this, they probably heard that and and started thinking, oh wait, can we actually capture sound bounces off of somebody's face and do? Uh, facial recognition based on uh, echoes from voice. I bet we could do that. Let's write an algorithm, man. Yeah, that you know what that reminds me of. S that scary thing. Um, I think Joe Rogan. I, I mean, he's he's really smart, but he's really dirty too. So I don't watch him. But this came across the transom. He, I think he tweeted this week about this business that the algorithms can now take one 
still image of a person and can extrapolate from that full fake video of the person saying and doing basically anything. And Rogan was just like, oh my gosh, this is gonna, this is very quickly going to turn into you cannot believe anything, anything that you see at all. The only thing that you can trust is, is a person that's standing right in front of you and that's it. And that's true. It's, it's just going to be, and I think about it, the first thing that went through my mind is, you know, um, there's hours and hours and hours and hours of video. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of hours of audio of me on the internet. At this point, I would I was thinking in terms of okay they can they can take audio clips and build an entire lexicon an entire vocabulary of words that I have spoken and are you know out on the internet and then from that they can parse together any sentence that they would want to and then they use auto tuning and all that to do the inflection and so forth um so you just feel like they could make you sound like you're saying anything? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think they're that's what's I think that's going to be the new frontier is that you're going to have videos and audio of people cropping up saying and doing just horrific things. And the fact of the matter is is that you're not going to be able to trust anything. There's not going to be any sort of trustworthy, honest reportage. The whole thing is just going to utterly implode into this this chaos it's truly going to turn into a satanic chaos where no information will be trust will be trustworthy anymore and what are we going to do how do you defend against that i don't have any idea how someone like me would defend against my image and my voice being taken and manipulated and turned into heaven knows what you know, well, and okay. that's let me let me say this. What difference does it make? And I'll, I'll back this up. Recently, uh, Donald Trump had a meeting with um, what's that loon bat from California? Oh, Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer in the White House or in the wherever it was that they had the meeting. And um, I guess very shortly into the meeting, uh, Trump asked some question like, are we going to be able to actually talk about something here? Or are you going to lecture me? And he walked out and the the liberal people are following CNN and saying, well, Trump threw a fit, stomped, and and, and uh, threw a tantrum and stomped out of the room. Mm-hmm. And the conservative news sources are saying, well, Trump said, look, you're, you're, you're trying to berate me. I'm not going to put up with this. I've got other things to do. I'm going to leave. So mm-hmm. why even go through all the charade of doing the auto-tune, fake voice, video, all the rest? People are going to believe what they want to believe anyway. And and in terms of the technology for doing fake voice and video anyway, that that was something I want to say 10 years ago, Adobe had a product that they showed off at some, it wasn't tech yet or not tech yet. It was um, whatever the, the big one they do in Las Vegas, uh, CES or something like that. They showed off to a few journalists, the, the ability with their um, the video editing and whatnot, you have a certain amount of time of, of video of somebody and you could literally morph them into saying whatever they wanted. Yeah. And there was such a backlash against us saying, this is beyond creepy. And they pulled the product. Um, 
it reminds me of something back when I was watching conspiracy videos back in 2004 or five, something like that. The, there was a video called loose change and there was a, a segment in that video where they were talking about Dick Cheney visiting some DARPA lab where they had video of him saying on a camera saying, my captors are treating me well and everything's very, everything's nice. You know, no, don't worry about me kind of stuff. He never said any of that. They mm-hmm. they put this together based on his, I don't know, um, I don't know how many hours of video they had of, of Dick Cheney at the time. And again, this is 15 years ago. They didn't even have quad core processors or 16 core processors or cloud computing and all the rest. Just the um, amount of, of processing power you can throw at, at problems like this right now is, is mind boggling. And it's only going to get better. Yes, you're going to get to the point where video is not reliable evidence anymore. I mean, yeah. there's the old line, are you going to believe me or, or, or your lying eyes? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're talking about real life versus video, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and we've been told that, you know, you have to have, you have to have videographic evidence, you know, that this has become the new thing. You have to have videographic evidence to prove anything. And everybody's kind of gotten into their mind. Yeah, yeah. Video, videographic evidence is the ultimate evidence of anything. And now within, uh, it, it's probably going to be just a matter of months, within a matter of months, videographic evidence is going to be completely untrustworthy and it'll it'll almost in a sense become become suspicious in and of itself then you'll have the the conundrum of what if you do have an accurate video that is accurately showing a crime being commissioned all the 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 perpetrator the defendant let's say has to do is um you know claim claim that it's doctored put those seeds of doubt into the mind into the mind of a jury and there you go that's it there's the video video evidence which today is the gold standard and irrefutable is going to just it's going to go completely 180 and it's going to become exactly the opposite and everybody's going to nod and say yeah yeah that was probably just all doctored and made and you know um, i've seen things on the internet of they've got you know they've got obama saying this and they've got Trump saying that and blah blah blah. Yeah, that's that's all just doctored. What the, what the hell are you going to do? What what is going to be evidence anymore? Uh, it's just I. Ironically, you just gave one of the best reasons why somebody should put the Facebook app on their phone and all of the other spyware apps on their phone, because if ever a video comes out that somebody says you were in this place at this time saying this and doing this and inciting this, you can say no. Subpoena Facebook, they know from all the detail on my phone, I was there. And I was <sighs> saying this because they were listening. And Amazon Echo, even though they say they're not listening on my phone, has voice recordings of me talking with that person at the time. I wasn't there. I see your point, but it's almost, it's like Satan setting the chessboard, you know. He's he's got us in check. Do you want this per, do you want this 24/7 surveillance and a total lack of privacy or do you want to be able to to defend yourself in court when you're accused of heinous crimes and doing this that and the other or just being character assassinated um <laughs> Satan is he's a he's a masterful chess player and I think this is another example of him just putting us all in check with this with this technology it reminds me of a quote that somebody mentioned on Twitter today about um, the, the saints of of earlier times being envious of the people in our times and also when the, the, the great persecution comes that mm-hmm. 
simply standing up for the faith will be a more heroic thing than being beaten and stripped and losing your livelihood and anything that the the martyrs and saints went through in the past. But it occurred to me, we're not too far along. We're not too far away from saying that even simple things like a man is not a woman will get you barred from getting a job. And you're not even making a statement about the faith at this point. You're just making a biological statement. Yep. And even 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 uh, Martin Navratilova, uh, Mar- Martina Navratilova made the comment, and she's not even straight. She made the comment. She was arguing these that trans you know, people who used to be male and they're pretending they're female. Oh, they they're still not, male. They're they should male. not be allowed to compete against women because it mm-hmm. is not fair. Because biologically, they they have levels of testosterone that just makes it you know stupidly unfair. And she has been ostracized as being mm-hmm. you know, hateful against women. And she's a sex person. She's a lesbian herself. Yes. And they're, they're accusing her of being um, biased against another species of sex pervert. I mean, it's just, it's in a certain sense, it's kind of, you know, it's interesting to see them devour each other. And that's where it always goes. But she is making the point, and she's absolutely right, that what, what that all means is it's, it's the end of women's athletics. It's just the end. Um, if if you if you've got men competing in weightlifting, in track, um, just anything, anything, they're go- they're going to absolutely grease the women. They're going to grease them. Yeah, guys who couldn't make a division three track and field team declare that they're female. They could make a division one women's team. It, it's they not even go, fair. They could probably go to the Olympics. Oh yeah, and Patrick McEnroe got crucified for this not too long ago. He he made the comment. Because somebody was asking him, and, and Patrick McEnroe is the is the McEnroe brother who wasn't nearly as good at tennis. Yes, yes. and he was saying that somebody ranked seven hundredth or or even lower in the men's side would just absolutely crush the entire women's side of the draw. Because yeah. the, the, the the question was, could Serena, when she was literally at her peak, literally at literally. her peak before she ever carried a child, and she was you know, just lapping the field. Uh, mm-hmm. on, on the women's side, how would she do against the men? And Patrick said she'd get crushed. The 700, mm-hmm. 700 guy in, in, in the, on the rankings would crush her because it, it's a matter of, of endurance. It's a matter of strength. It's, you're, at, you're talking apples and oranges here. And he got crushed. And we're not talking about the faith here. And for all I know, Patrick McEnroe might be Catholic nominally. I don't know. I mean, he's got a nice Irish name, but he probably isn't. And so to the to the point of this person on Twitter, she she was making the comment that uh, the, the the saints of, of previous times envied us and, and we're going to have great saints at the end times. Imagine what's going to happen to the people who actually stand up for the faith. Yeah. It's not going to yeah. be white martyrdom. It's going to be, I don't know, a pink martyrdom. And there's going to be there's going to be some blood, but it's not going to mm-hmm. be quite so overt. Satan doesn't want to make you an instant saint. He wants you to, to, to lose faith and to. And to turn on God and saying, "Why are you letting this happen to me? I'm so you're supposed to be on my side here." I mean, that's there were people who lost the crown of martyrdom for that sin in the past, and Satan takes notes. Yep, absolutely. And it's what it makes me think about, and what I'm, you know, more and more conscious of is that there's something to be said for. And I don't want to turn this into some sort of an advocacy for just everything being about external, ostentatious show. That's not the point that I'm making. But as we move into this phase of 
technology and the degradation of culture, there's really something to be said for being seen daily or nearly daily going to mass praying the rosary, doing these things for my, for my own personal protection. I mean, you know, people around me basically have no idea who I am or, or what any, what any of my online activities are. But, um, if, you know, if it came to the point and the, and the ones who, who do know who I am are obviously perfectly, perfectly discreet. Um, but if it came to the point where I needed people to testify and step up and say, look, you know, th this chick was in your, was in your general area. Did you, what's the deal with her? I tell you what, right now, they would be able to testify beyond any shadow of a doubt that, yeah, she's, she's at mass almost every day. And yes, yeah, she's, I, we physically see her here in the church at adoration. We physically see her here in, here in the church, praying the rosary and this church, that church, the other church, there's eyewitness testimony of all of this. Um, so there's, there really is something to be said for that as we move forward, having this, this eyewitness, eyewitness witness of your witness, <laughs> if I may, if I, if I may put it like that. Why don't you so, just take a selfie in front of the Blessed Sacrament and post it to Twitter? Everyone can see I'd that. I'd really, really rather not. No, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> I'm not being serious at all. I know. Um, a very serious topic that did come across recently is Antonio Sochi, who wrote a book uh, called The Fourth Secret of Fatima, wherein he said he he started a book where he was going to totally blow out of the water. This was his intention that the third secret had not been fully revealed in his book and in his research determined maybe it hasn't been revealed. Well, he's written another book, the title of which is The Secret of Benedict XVI, Is He Still the Pope? This is a topic that anybody who's listened to this podcast for more than one episode might have heard before. Might have heard a little something about it, a little something something, yes. <laughs> um, the the book was actually, it's of course written originally in Italian and it came out last year and I was able to get it and, you know, I was able to get the Italian version and then, you know, parse the Italian and, and was able to basically review the book. And, you know, no, it if, was... If you can read Latin, liturgical Latin, it, Italian is not that much harder. Yeah, it's, it's just like a deformed yeah. version of Latin. It's pidgin Latin, basically. Yeah, it's and in fact, it's quite a lot easier too. Um, I think. I think. Sometimes I think Italian is even closer to English than Spanish is to English. I, I find it easier. I find it far easier. But anyway, so you read this book, and you know, it's not. <laughs> this is going to sound really conceited, but it's not as thorough and as as exhaustive as as my video and the stuff that I've written. God forgive me for sounding for sounding like I'm bragging. I'm sorry. Uh, but you know, it was a decent read. It was interesting. He goes into some other things. He goes into Fatima and how that kind of that might play into this whole situation with, you know, as, as super nerd puts it, the, the two bishops in white and all of that. And he also ties it, he ties it interestingly. And I think this is a valid point that, you know, eventually needs to be explored is tying it to, um, you know, the, the American, um, possible American interference, you know, the Hillary Clinton and and all those people talking about how they wanted to have a, a Catholic spring and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's that's 100% criminal activity. And yes, I absolutely believe that something like that is was and is going on. It's obviously a, a 
highly organized thing with Soros and they're all working together, you know, and it's, it's really interesting. I don't know if you've, if you saw, but they had some kind of, they had a big election cycle just recently, like a week or two weeks ago now yeah, in Sal- Europe. Salvini's party won. Yeah. That the Italian, um, I don't know if you call him far right. I mean, he's just, <laughs> he's, he's, he's not suicidal. Let's put it that way. He's, anybody, he with an think ounce that, of, anybody with an ounce of common sense is called far right these days. Exactly. Exactly. So that's this guy. And he just, he trounced, they, they trounced the Brexit party, Nigel Farage. They all trounced in the UK, um, all over Europe. People are just getting pissed off and they're, they're just saying this business of having just boatload after boatload after boatload of criminal African and musloids coming in, just invasion force, just flowing in. And the interesting thing about in Italy, apparently, is that the Italians are just have had it with Bergoglio because they look at Bergoglio and they say, look, this guy is openly advocating for the far left politically. It's There's no doubt about that at all. And they are pissed off. Now, most Italians obviously think he's the Pope, but they hate his guts. And they're so, they're so jaded. You know, I think they kind of pride themselves on the fact that, oh, you know, Popes, they come, they go, that they're, they're even still not yet cottoning to the fact that there might be something just extraordinarily wrong here with Bergoglio, but maybe someday we'll get there. Um, But the Sochi book, comes out and it it was just released in English. So, you know, it takes a few months, they get the whole thing translated and it's released by Angelico Press um, earlier this week. And it's just a a super, super human being who I respect so very much. It's so painful to talk about this because it was just horrible to watch this happen yesterday, is Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. We've talked about him, we've referenced him um, more than once on the podcast. He's a liturgist. He's a theologian. He's a musician. He's a composer, man of all seasons, and and a really good guy and a family man, wife, kids, the whole nine. Excellent. He writes a review of the Sochi book, which basically, um, you know, uh, uh, acknowledges my position that the resignation of Pope Benedict was was canonically flawed and invalid. And Dr. Kwasniewski's first review, it says this, and I've got it posted on the blog because I see this and I'm like, wow, this is, this is big time. This is blockbuster. So I say, okay. And I, you know, copy it and um, make a blog post. And I think also, and then Frank Walker at Canon 212, he linked to my post. So between, you know, between the two of us, it sent, it basically sent the thing viral in the sense that things go viral in the trad Catholic world. And apparently, apparently Dr. Kwasniewski either started getting blowback or, or just got really nervous once you know, the review went viral because it had been up on Amazon. This this Amazon review had been up for a while. I don't know, at least a day, uh, but I think more than a day. And he apparently got nervous and he started editing it. And I think he was still editing it today. I think he's on his fifth edit now. And I just, oh, ah. and, you know, as he's editing it, he's, he's just walking it back and walking it back and, and uh, toning it down, toning it down, so to speak. Um, and it's, 
he's such a good guy and I just don't want, I don't want anyone to think badly of him, but I just want to reiterate, you know, look at the pressure. Okay. Now this is a layman, but he's a layman who works in, in academia, basically, um, theologian, et cetera, liturgist, et cetera. And he, he works in Catholic academia. So he's like, he's not, working directly for the church, but he's, he's like one step removed. So he's, he's very close and he's connected to the institutional church, dependent on the institutional church for income, employment, et cetera, et cetera. Consider, consider the pressure that these people are under. And we see it just, just right immediately before this earlier this week, what's the guy's name? Dr. John Rist, I believe, um, very respected academic, so he's he's an academic in Rome, I think at the Augustinianum, and he goes somewhere. He has a speaking engagement. He goes back to Rome, gets his car where he par he parks his car at the Augustinianum in Rome, which is right next to St. Peter's Square, and um, parking is a huge deal in Rome. It's a massive, massive deal, as you can imagine, in a very old city where there isn't space for parking and everything's just wildly expensive. Well, so it's a big goes, deal in New York and San Francisco, too. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, he goes, he gets his car, he takes his car out, he goes to return his car and put his car back in, in the parking space that he has there that he's had for years and years and years and years as a, as a, you know, fellow of this pontifical university. And he's stopped by the security at the gate and told, Nope, you are persona non grata. You, you may not enter this or any other pontifical university. You have been banned. This is like an 85 year old man. Okay. Um, respected academic. Why? I think it's because he signed, he signed the latest letter and Dr. Kwasniewski signed the latest letter too. Um, so look at these laymen, just these academics and look at the pressure they're under and how, you know, hell is coming down, is raining down upon them. Now consider the, the position that your priests are in. Um, they are utterly dependent upon the institutional church. I mean, for a roof over their head, for their next meal, for everything. And so in charity, it's this has been impressed upon me, especially of late, because one of the things that I've started to do is, and I've written this on the blog several times now, and I encourage other people to do that if if you agree with me and you agree that, you know, almost every mass is commemorating the wrong man at the Teijid or they're, they're saying the wrong name. Um, what I've been doing for a long time, I mean, basically since the beginning, is when I go to mass and, you know, I know that, that the wrong man is being commemorated, I internally in conversation with our Lord as I am there kneeling, assisting at the mass, but quietly internally to myself, obviously not disrupting or, you know, doing anything like that, but I correct it you know, in, in my mind, then what was impressed upon me is that what we, I have started doing and what I, what I would implore other people to do, because it, it inflames such immediate, intense charity, um, and compassion and sympathy is that when the priest commemorates the wrong man, according, according to me, um, I, I say to our, I correct it. And then I say to our Lord, give me any temporal punishment that might be due, due to him for doing this. Give it to me, I'll take it. 
because look at the position he's in. He might not have any idea. Um, <laughs> he probably should. Get, he should be at least curious, given how how visibly horrific uh, Bergoglio is, and this absolutely bizarre visibility of Pope Benedict still. I, it seems to me that at this point, come on, everybody should be just a little bit curious. And especially, I mean, if you're a priest, I mean, this is, this is, this is your life. This is absolutely everything. You should, you should probably be curious about this, but you know, maybe they just haven't, they, they've never heard of any of the arguments that I'm making and other people are making and so on and so forth. So, you know, it seems to me that if we will all, if, if you are with me and you think that the wrong man is being commemorated, do what do I, I implore you do what I'm doing and and tell our Lord give me give me the temporal punishment that might be due him he might it, there might not be any there might there might not be any he might be completely non culpable but if there is if there is give it to me I've been doing this whole give it to me thing um, for quite some time but never in this context obviously. Oftentimes what I'll what I'll do is when I see people who are engaging in, you know, obviously sexually perverted behavior, you see two men walking down the street holding hands or two girls that are obviously behaving like lesbians. Um, you know, you as you see that, you say a prayer for them and say to our Lord, give it to me. Give me temporal the temporal punishment for this what they're doing right now and it what that does and i'm telling you it is absolutely instantaneous that charity compassion sympathy zeal for the salvation of souls all of that will just instantly inflame even when you're even when you're looking at at two two sodomite men walking down the street holding hands and it makes me sick it makes me absolutely sick because I have a real, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but I have a real problem with sodomites. I have a real big problem with sodomites. But if I can get myself to say, Lord, give me the temporal punishment that's due to them for what they're doing in the scandal of walking down the street holding hands like this, it it flips your mind and it gets you, it gets you back into a, a mindset of charity and compassion. So, and you can do this, you know, with anybody. When you see anybody who's obviously committing some sort of a, a sin, and you can just say, All right, say a prayer for him and then Lord give it to me. And you know, I think that that might indicate to our Lord that you're, you're really serious. <laughs> you're really serious about this business of having zeal for souls and you, and your prayer for them is not just, you know, mouthing the words. If you're willing to actually do some time in purgatory, if it will help somebody else, um, then I think that that, that increases the, what would you call it? What would you call it? it increases the, uh, the credibility, you know, the credibility of your prayer and the authenticity of your prayer. And I'm, I'm, we're not messing around here. So um, well, this goes back to the, to the message of Fatima that, that uh, so many souls go to hell because nobody will pray for them. Yep. And even if you disagree with Anne's point about who the senior Bishop and white or, or active Bishop and white is <laughs> still the idea of offering uh, sacrifices for sinners or saying, give me their punishment. I mean, obviously not hell, but uh, no. give give me the punishment, whatever whatever is necessary for them to save their souls. That is that is effective, and 
Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and tell the story. There's something <laughs> happened this last week. I, I, I had suggested it before, but I didn't ever think it would happen. But, um, one of my kids got in trouble and, and they, they got a punishment and, and, um, my, my older son said, give me the punishment instead. And I was quite taken aback by it. It's, I was quite impressed and, and I'm happy that, that there's this level of spiritual maturity that, that, uh, that this older child is showing, but how many of us think to do this? I mean, yeah. even just people cut us off in, in traffic. I mean, may God bless them is not the first thing that comes out of my mouth. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's not uh, a wave and say, Hey, go on. It's usually less than five fingers that come up on my hand. <laughs> at that point. But the- I mean, what, what this is, this is, if you think about it, this is diaper school. It's, it's what did our Lord do? We need to imitate our Lord, our Lord in the garden, our Lord at the pillar, our Lord on the cross. What what is the what is the absolute essence of what he's doing? He's saying, "Give it to me, give it to me." Well, that's the Don't agony you... in the garden, literally. Every, it, yeah, literally, it, literally, it's all the sins ever. Yes, every single sin ever committed, he took on. He said, "Give it to me," and that's what happened in the garden. And then that proceeded all the way through his passion. Do you think maybe we're supposed to imitate Christ? Isn't there a book that somebody wrote called Imitation of Christ or something like that? That would be Don't a good you... one to put in the show notes. I think we should put that in the show notes too. Very good. That's Thomas Akempis. So yes, we need to be, you know, not we need to be acting like we actually believe this stuff. Imitate Christ even in that. Give give me the purgation. Give give me the time in purgatory if it will help, if it will help these people. And that's, what is that? That is zeal, zeal for the salvation of, of souls, fraternal charity. Um, and I, it's, it's just amazing to me that it took me that, so long to, for that light bulb to go off, but you, you just never hear anybody say that. And in our narcissistic culture, just like you just said, super nerd, I, Trying and trying to tell people this. I mean, I wonder, I wonder if we'll get hate mail from somebody who's listening to this, who sends in an email and says, hell no, I'm not taking on any, any temporal punishment for any faggots or anything like that. Well, okay, that's your choice to make, but I've made mine. Um, I will, every time I see sex perverts on the street, I will say, give it to me. And every time I go to mass, if... If anyone is due any temporal punishment for commemorating the wrong man, if, 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 give it to me, give it to me. And then when we all get to heaven, we'll all have a huge laugh and we'll be, and I'll be able to say to that priest, aren't you glad I was in your parish? <laughs> I, I, well, <laughs> and with, without going into divulging details, there was an email that came out or came out that was, that was sent to the, to a podcast at Barnhart.biz talking about the, the concept of, of, of a personal relationship with Christ. And when, when you are friends with somebody there, there's the saying that you like people who are like you mm-hmm. and you like people who like you. And forget the second part for a minute, because everyone likes people who like them. But you like people who are like you. And if you if you are giving of yourself to the point where you are willing to take the punishment for other sinners, mm-hmm. that is very Christ-like. That's what he did. And Christ will definitely 
um, he will definitely be your friend at that point. You will develop a personal friendship with Christ by doing what he did. And also the the reference to, you know, the, the first thing that came to mind when that email came in was the book Imitation of Christ. You want to have a personal relationship with Christ? Read that. Because mm-hmm. that, that, is, that is simulating a conversation between Christ and the soul. And, and in terms of, you know, how, how do we do this for people who never had the concept of, of this, this notion that isn't worded quite the same way in Catholic cultures of, of, or Catholic circles of, of personal relationship with Christ. We have that concept. It's just not worded the same way. But it's imitation of Christ. Yes. And I mean, it, it's, an, it's a tricky thing to discuss because I think a lot of people, especially people who are coming from atheism, agnosticism, just lukewarm anything, they, they hear this and they think, well, you, you just have an imaginary friend. You're just having conversations in your head with an imaginary friend. And that's, that's not what we're talking about at all. That's not what it is. Um, you know, you're not hearing voices. Um, you might, I think we we get little nudges in our consciousness, um, but it, in terms of hearing voices, and I think I think our Lord probably knows not to do that with me because if if anything like that happened to me, I would sprint to the nearest hospital because the 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 first assumption I would make is my God, I've got a brain tumor or something. You know, I would assume that there was something wrong. Um, so I I doubt I would be very. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that he would do anything like that because I'm not, I'm not, I'm probably not well disposed to anything like that at all. But you do, you do develop a personal relationship with him. You, you know that he's there. You know that he's in the tabernacle. You know that he's in the monstrance. Um, and you, you, you obviously know that he's, he's everywhere in everything. Um, that's one of the reasons, circling back to where we started, why I just I'm just tickled to death watching these math videos because I've always I've always thought that math is one of the uh, one of the more obvious manifestations of of God in the universe, you know. And so how you can kinda, mathematicians be atheists? Seriously. Uh, seriously, right? Literally. Right? Literally, yes. Um, it's it's, but it's so true. <laughs> and I've had conversations with mathematicians about this, and they're just like, "Yeah, I don't get it either." And um, I've actually had the honor of of meeting one of one of the greatest mathematicians in the world is a trad Catholic daily mass goer that I got to meet, and um, it's it's just really interesting. You know, those are. I don't get to visit with him nearly enough. That's it's really cool. Um, but you know, yeah, we're not talking about having having some imaginary friend. That's that's not what it is at all. So if there are any people out there listening, thinking, you know, Anne goes into a church and and you know hears these voices, and I, no, 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 um, it's that's not how it works for almost everyone. Um, you just there's you you sit and you you are there and you look at him and you think. And you let you, you know, let let your thoughts go, and you you can address, you know, speak to him and and ask questions and tell obviously tell him what you need, um, <laughs> tell him, and then and then just tell him you love him and tell him that you know 
I know that you're completely unfathomable, but I know that you're great. And I really, really want to see you face to face. And I really want to spend all of eternity with you. And I know that everything I've ever seen in my entire life that was good and beautiful, that you are that. You, anything that has ever made my heart race or made my soul sing, any beauty, any truth, any laughter, joy, anything like that, that you are that and to, to an infinite degree. And I, I want that. I want to know who you are and I want to be with you and ponder you forever, even though I can't I, you could never get your head around him. That's that's the beauty of, of of eternity and the beatific vision, is that you know, like the Mandelbrot set, it goes on for infinity. There's no end to it. Can you imagine if the if the if the silly Mandelbrot set is an infinite set? How much more infinite is God Himself, who is an an infinity of infinities? There's there's absolutely no end. So. You know, it's it's really sad. There's there's a lot of people who are just who who think that you know there we're we're told and we're taught and it's true that the beatific vision is that the mass is basically you know this this foreshadowing of the eternal liturgy of the eternal sacrifice of the son eternally offering himself to the father, and people think that what that means is that heaven is like being at mass all the time for for infinity for for eternity and they think well that sounds boring you know not if you truly <laughs> understand it and you're given the light to see it in the same way that god does indeed and but then it's also the infinity of infinity so while while you're there in this eternal massive offering of praise by the entire church triumphant together you also have the infinity of god himself and do you, do you not think that he's going to say oh hey i know you're really you're really interested in in math in complex analysis well this is going to blow your mind let me show you this i mean let me show you this concept of physics let me show you how how the universe works if that's what you're interested in other people have other interests and he's going to you know heaven is tailor-made to every single person and it, he, he will just keep delighting and delighting and delighting us and there is no end to it that's why what is what does the gospel say in my father's house there are many mansions um and everybody has their own their own suite in this mansion and everybody's suite is custom made for them and then don't also don't forget is that you have the entire rest of the church triumphant there you have all of the angels and I, i've you know if looking at the universe and how many stars and galaxies and so forth there are and i think saint thomas teaches that every star has its own angel. I mean, you know, there's all of these custodial angels that are, that are in charge of dis different at overseeing different aspects of the universe. If you, judging by, from what we're learning about this, the sheer size of the universe, there could be quintillions of, of angels. So, you know, you've got this massive heavenly host all of the other, you know, human saints that are that are in the church triumphant, you get to you get to engage it, theoretically with all of those people. I guess that's a that's a way to put it. Um, and everybody gets exactly the the custom tailored 
heaven for them. And it's also a function of how we live our lives. We've discussed this too, about, you know, the levels, about basically how close in a certain sense you are to the the trinity itself to and you know obviously our lady is closest and then you know there's all these ranks and the ranks of angels and so forth and the thing that we talked about this in the context of was um saint tiny princess and super nerd made the really good point that ideally ideally saint tiny princess who is now in the beatific vision but if everything goes well she will be at the lowest level relatively speaking of the beatific vision why she never committed a sin, but then on the other hand, she was never able to, to be able to choose to do the virtuous good or to choose to suffer or like we were just discussing, do something like choose to say, Lord, give me the temporal punishment because she just, she never had that. She didn't have that ability because of her, her disability and because of her age, obviously too. She was only what, seven and a half months. Something like that. Less than a year. Yes. Less than a year. Yes. So Ideally, for her family, she would be the lowest, quote unquote, in heaven, and all of her her parents and all of her siblings would be at some point above her because they would have the chance to, um, you know, exercise virtue and so on and so forth. And not only that, I would think that she would be praying that she would be the lowest as well because it's not for her glory; it's for the glory of God that she would pray that her siblings and her parents and all of her relatives exceed her. Yes, exactly. There's no there's no envy. There's no jealousy. Everyone in the beatific vision, they're at exactly the right place, obviously, because you're not you're not going to trick or con God or anything like that. And you're there and you're completely happy and you're completely content and it's perfect justice and everybody's exactly where they're supposed to be and you're exactly where you're supposed to be and there's no jealousy and there's no resentment. There's none of that. There's absolutely none of that. It is just, just pure charity among everyone. It's really difficult <laughs> living in, in the world that we live in and being, being the, the creatures that we are to even be able to f almost fathom anything like that. But that's, that's how it is. Heaven is just really, really good. So try to get there. Faith and hope will pass away, but charity will not, and it, which is a topic we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. And you were mentioning that um, depending upon what it is you're interested in, in this world, literally or otherwise, that um, heaven is custom made for you. But then again, it makes sense in the se in, in it makes sense in the sense. Okay, talk about overusing words. Anything that is true is a reflection of God. Yes. So if you are interested in, I don't know, bugs and studying bugs and, and mm -hmm. the order of the the all of bugness, whatever it is that that you find fascinating and and cool about that, it's a reflection of of truth. It's a reflection of God. And yes, I would I don't question for a moment that uh, that your heaven might have an aspect of that but I, I would I would think and I'm totally doing this out of the out of my ear I, I have no idea here I'm just speculating that, that, that there may be an aspect of, of uh, the meat and potatoes versus dessert kind of aspect of, of heaven that God is the main course and all of the other stuff that you get to learn about uh, all of creation and about all of reality that's just extra. That's a, that's dessert. So the fact that yeah. you can, you know, totally understand mathematics, if that was something you were interested in, and it's like, okay, you may have won four Fields medals, but guess what? That was less than 1% of what there is to mathematics. Let me show you this. Right. And, and it just goes on forever. 
that will be nothing compared to being able to behold God. Yeah. Yep. And that's, man, that, that's what it's all about. That's what we're all shooting for. And that's what we're trying to, first and foremost, you know, put, put your own air, uh, oxygen mask on before you put your neighbors on. You got to get yourself squared away. And then you try to help. You have zeal for the salvation of souls and you try to help as many other people as you possibly can. Now, you can't say, save everybody and don't be getting a savior or a Christ complex because you can't do that. But we are, we're obviously supposed to be proactive in all of this. You know, that's the Great Commission, even though, uh, uh, I'm saying that anti-Pope Bergoglio has said that the Great Commission apparently has been abrogated and that you're not supposed to proselytize, but he's he's a filthy heretic and a liar and don't believe him. No, we need to we need to bring as many people along as we possibly, possibly can. And even if you have the faith to move mountains and do other kinds of um, prodigious wonders, if you don't mm-hmm. have charity, you're not going to heaven. That's Saint, right. St. Paul said something authoritative along those lines. Exactly. So, and that that gets into you know something you've mentioned at the end of the show, but you know the charity, the people who are literally destroying the church from the top, from the inside out, burning the thing down. We still have to have the charity to want them in heaven. Yeah. We don't know why God is allowing this, but we yes. we want them all in heaven because otherwise you're going to deserve a place next to them if you will them in hell. That's right. That's right. And it's, it's admittedly, it is incredibly difficult to think about Bergoglio and have any sort of warm fraternal charity, uh, personal warm fraternal charity. I mean, it's impossible for me. I can't, I can't do it. It, what my, my charity at that point is almost completely focused on the fact that God loves him and Christ died on the cross for him, for Jorge Bergoglio, and God loves him infinitely. And um, if he doesn't make the beatific vision, it will be it will be an absolute tragedy. Um, and, but God loves him and loves all of us, so that even the people who don't make it, he sustains them in their existence because it's the ultimate. And see, this is another thing that that Bergoglio says. He says their soul annihilation. People who don't people who don't make it to heaven, their souls are just zipped out of, um, God just snaps them out of existence. It's absolutely wrong. God loves us so much and, and holds us. And this is just unfathomable, holds us in such dignity that even if we freely choose to reject him and we end up in hell for all eternity, he, he sustains our existence precisely because it would be the ultimate um, it would be the ultimate insult, uh, a- act of hatred, act of indifference. If he, if God just shrugged his shoulders and then zoop, zipped us out of existence, um, if we didn't make the the beatific vision. So, you know, people say I, I could never believe in a God who who would allow people to to go to hell for all eternity. And the, the response to that is, I I don't want to I don't want any anything to do with a God who wouldn't. I don't want anything to do with a God who is this capricious, um, indifferent being who who clearly you know is indifferent and doesn't really love us and you know what we're just like so many insects and he'll just he'll just snuff us out of existence if that's if that's what how it comes out no way man that's not love that's not you know you know what that sounds like that sounds like that monstrosity allah that those stupid islamic people in that political system that they that they are always talking about that's what that sounds like the capricious 
basically loveless um, deity. And that's, that, is not, that is not who God is. Well, if God did not send sinners to hell, he would not be just, and therefore he would not be perfect, and therefore he would not be true. That's right. And every human being, every human being without exception, is a testament and glorifies God in their existence. The ones who achieve the beatific vision are a testament to his infinite mercy and glorify him in his mercy because they've made the beatific vision. And the people that, are, that end up in hell are a testament to God's perfect justice. So every single human being, including the damned, they all they all are are testifying to God's perfection and goodness. And that's it, that's the only thing that makes any sense. I mean, talking about being a convert and things like that, when you when you first encounter um, those sorts of truths and you realize how completely coherent and internally consistent and logical it all is, and then, you know, what's overarching that is just infinite love. So you have logic, reason, internal consistency, and infinite love. You, you look at that and, and any intellectually honest person has to say, yes, this is true. And, and it's, so, it's so incredibly awesome and wonderful that there's no way that people could have just fabricated this. It's way too good to ever have been fabricated. I just feel like I can't improve on that topic. So I think this might literally be the end of the podcast. I think so too. I think we should wrap her up. The email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, literally suggestions or anything else you want. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for ends benefactors. Usually I say this, but and I think you should uh, do this segment this time. Well, we I had an amazing day today. I came out of mass and I checked my email and I looked down and I've got an email from a priest that I've never never received an email from before. And um, you know, he said we we're discussing some other thing, and you know, there was a little bit back and forth. And um, it's it's wonderful because he's a diocesan priest who says the trad mass, and I'm like, wow, you're a you're a rare commodity, and um, and I said, you know, I replied back in an email and said, you know, I'm I'm kind of looking for, um, we've got a couple of priests that are elderly and have asked me to go ahead and um, see if I can't, you know, get organized and find other other priests who could. Um, cover their days because, you know, they're kind of, they're having some health issues and it would be better. And I said, well, I'm, I'm needing, you know, X day of the week specifically. Could you commemorate my benefactors every X day? And he emails back and he says, well, I can just do it every day. Would you, would you prefer that I just commem commemorate your benefactors every day? And I was like, uh, yes, please. So now, the way we have to start phrasing this super nerd is there is at least, <laughs> absolutely at least one mass. And there's, there on many days, there's going to be now two masses per day in which all of my benefactors and supporters will be commemorated at the Holy Sacrifice. So I'm just ever so slightly stoked about this. Okay, I need to edit my, my script here. At least... Uh, two masses. Okay. Yes. I don't know if you heard the keystrokes there, but... <laughs> <laughs>
I just, I, just, I just updated my, my script there. So yes, at least two masses every single day for Anne's benefactors. How awesome is that? Like literally. Like literally, I just feel like this is a dream come true. No, I, I in all seriousness, I had been, you know, kind of praying, uh, talking to our Lord, you know, um, having the little conversations and I, ooh, I, I wouldn't it, wouldn't it be awesome? You know, I, I need some more priests here. I need to cover this and it's done prayer answered today. So actually it's, it's at least one and it's at least one. And most days there are two, let's put it that way. But we're absolutely guaranteed now that every day there's at least one and probably two. So. And that's above and beyond the weekly requiem for everybody who died the previous week, not just benefactors, everybody who died the previous week. And unfortunately, those that's a scarce commodity these days to have a proper requiem mass, you know, offering up, um, not recompense isn't the right word, but uh, um, praying for the the yes. souls in purgatory. Yeah, and it's just coming off of Memorial Day. I know that that's a, a holiday that's near and dear to your heart, as as it is for for many. And you know, you wanted to make the point that what would be the absolutely ideal activity that was going on on Memorial Day? I'll let you take that one. Oh, I, I think it'd be great if the uh, the Archbishop, who is the head of the military ordinate, if he had the the privilege and um, jealously guarded that privilege of offering a pontifical requiem at Arlington National, and uh, you had the honor guard of of you know of Marines and everyone else who looks like they're in the military. Um, Serving at the mass and and um, you know saluting with a sword uh, as they as they should. Um, it, it also would be interesting if if there was. And I'm, I'm just totally going off the top of my head of what would make sense in terms of a uniquely military salute liturgically. Um, if you know, I was musing on Twitter. Would it make sense to do a 21 gun salute or a 33 gun salute at at the consecration? I, I don't know. That would that would be an interesting uh, expression of of faith. And, and service, as well as, you know, honoring those who, who gave their lives in service for our protection, for our freedom, and all that is good. And unfortunately, well, have you, have, I was going to say, unfortunately, our ever, military isn't always doing what's best for us, but they uh, still honor, honor the, 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 give them the benefit of the doubt and honor that they're doing this for the good reasons. Indeed. Have you, have you ever seen um, Absolution of the Catafalque? Um, I've served at masses where we absolve the catafalque, yes. So I would think that, you know, ideally there should be on Memorial Day, it shouldn't just be this, you know, lazy vacation day where everybody goes out and barbecues or whatever, that there should be, people should be flocking to, to mass and that they would, there would be military. It seems to me that almost kind of the, the best opportunity for military ceremonials being integrated into this would be at the absolution of the catafalque, excuse me, catafalque, um, and that would be that could be absolutely incredible. It seems to me. Um, but, it seems, it seems there should be a special ceremony just at the grave of the unknown soldiers. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, after the triumph of the immaculate heart, put it on the list. We're gonna we're gonna get all this done. Absolutely. 
Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> There's still more script. Um, Barnhart uh, Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media, and sometimes I do a good job uh, reading my own script here. If you fan, found value of, in, in this podcast or in previous episodes and would like to return some value, visit supernerdmedia.com for more details, which is what Charles, Arthur, Gene, Franklin, Brian, Camille, Donald, and Christopher did. Uh, via PayPal and uh, nothing via the actually I have no idea if anything came in via the mailbox because I didn't check it this week but uh, hello James R because he sent something in via the mailbox Um, oh pass the hat this is your thing and it's kind of in the same part of this I'll let you do that and then the Matthew 1720 well um, I just want to give everybody a heads up I haven't thanks be to God, I haven't done this or had to do this and uh, um, for quite some time now, but uh, the month of June is going to be kind of like the PBS pledge drive at uh, barnhart.biz. Um, it's, there's going, and the reason why I'm thinking of the PBS pledge drive is because you, you always have a love-hate relationship with that when I was a kid and I was watching public television because whenever they had the pledge drive, they'd always have their best programming, you know, because they wanted, they obviously wanted people to watch. But then you had to suffer through the fact that they would take these pledge breaks and be like begging for money and blah, 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 and all this stuff. But that's kind of the image that popped into my head. So the entire month of June, I think we're going to try to put up some sort of a banner across the top or something like that. And just reminding people that if you do get um, enjoyment, utility, edification, anything positive out of barnhart.biz, the Barnhart podcast, my videos, any anything that I'm doing, um, donations are kindly accepted and um, also sub- subscriptions. You can use continue to give and you can do a recurring donation sort of a thing, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever it is. And you can set it to be perpetual. So and I think the way that continue to give works is that it shows up as 100 or excuse me, 1000 billing cycles. Well, obviously if you're doing a, a um, monthly donation, a thousand months is we're all dead in a thousand months. So it's, it's basically saying it's a perpetual thing. Um, Oh, another thing too, and I, I've heard this from another podcast that I follow that people will do uh, renewing uh, donations via via PayPal, and they they get a notice from PayPal saying, and not that you're using PayPal, but if you have a subscription, uh, when when your credit card rolls over, when you get a new one issued, or in the case of just what happens these days, some knucklehead yeah. gets a hold of your credit card or skims it when you make a purchase, and they go make a, a fraudulent purchase, and you don't have any choice, but Amazon issues you a no credit card, whether you want one or not, just to protect them. Mm-hmm. This will screw around with your uh, subscriptions. Yes. So yes. And- you'll, you'll get these notifications that you have canceled your subscription or actually it'd be on Anside side or, or whoever that uh, so-and-so canceled their subscription. So if you had a subscription before, make sure it's still actually active and working. Yes. And what I see, what continue to give has started doing, I didn't used to get these as they, if, if they try to hit a credit card on a recurring thing and it fails, I get a failure notice. And then what they've just recently started doing is that if they get two failed attempts, they cancel the donation profile, which which is smart. I mean, that makes absolute sense. Now, I honestly don't know if the donor themselves is notified of that. I, I don't know. But um, I see it just on the in the email box that it feeds into on on my side. So, and there are a lot of people. I mean, obviously, just uh, organic expirations of credit cards, and then obviously people having to cancel, like you cancel their cards, like you said. Um, But just 
reminding everybody of that. And yes, my snail mail address in, in Centennial, Colorado is still exactly the same. And yes, I'm still selling the cattle marketing DVDs. And I'm hoping, you know, during this June quote unquote pledge drive past the hat thing that it's going to be like the PBS pledge drive. And there's going to be a lot of, of content rolled out. I've said this before. I have almost a problem of reverse writer's block because there's just so much. There's so much to do. There's so much to say. And you don't want to just, you know, post too much because, th because then things get buried. I think a lot of people, if, if, if I were to make three posts in one day, most people wouldn't see the first one I made because it would be too deep down on the page. So I try to, I try to space things out, but good grief. It's, it's, there's just, I've got a list as long as my arm of things that need to be written up and things that need to be done. And there's a, another project, big project that's going to happen this month. I've already, the date is set for, what's going to happen and that's going to happen this month and you'll see what that is when it comes out and and um yeah we're just going to keep going we're just going to keep going i mean this there's a non-trivial percentage chance that these might actually be the run up to the to the end times to the big show i mean how can you not be just chomping at the bit to do everything that you can um in these days to to be as much of a help to people as you can and you know just being being motivated and that's that's where i am and admittedly i mean i'm not starving to death nobody worry and i always worry about my my extant donors i think oh no ann's asking for money that that must mean that i'm not giving enough i'm like no 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 that's not the case you're you're probably overly generous um and is particularly talking to people who have found value but haven't returned any value yet well perhaps that yes um certainly wanting to generate um, a, a larger, expanded, broader base of donors, and and not necessarily at you know high donation levels. It's the just we've people said this to chip before. in. Just for people to chip in, and if you look at the stats of how many people are on the website and how many people are listening to the podcast, and then they, you know, you get these tantalizing little things that you know, if ten percent of your listeners would subscribe at this and such level, well, that would that would cover cover rent plus 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 you know um and as always my prayer is with regards to this not too much not too little just exactly the right amount whatever our lord wants me to have exactly the right amount and but i do admit that i would like to stack cash and get out ahead on rent and things like that because it is good you need to have you need to be financially responsible and if something happens and this has happened to me a couple times within the last couple of years and you need to have you know several thousand dollars ready to go ready to deploy in an emergency situation that's that's a big deal and if you're if you're a grown adult like i am you should have that so that's going to be the pass the hat initiative it's going to be all throughout the month of June. I'll try to make it as subtle as possible. And like I said, I'll try to deliver good content so that it's not quite as, as offensive like the PBS pledge drives are. So <laughs> that's that's the story there. Matthew 17, 20 intention, as always, full fast, 24-hour fast, if you can, twice a week. Um, I'm doing usually Tuesdays and Fridays, but sometimes I'm now bumping into Saturday because it just kind of tends to work out. Um, the intention is that 
um, the Bergolian anti-papacy be acknowledged as the anti-papacy that it is and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be acknowledged as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and that likewise Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of what he's done, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. So that's our prayer. Rosary every day, obviously, and then and then fasting as much as you can. And like literally anything short of that is just not cool. I just feel like I just feel like anything less than that is like not satisfactory. I can't even do it. See, I'm trying to go downhill. You have to fight. You have to fight to go uphill with with that. So let's 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 make a commitment that we're going to end the up talking on the Bonhart podcast with this episode. So like until next time, I'm super nerd. And I'm man. Thanks, guys. God bless. <laughs>